Welcome to Art Float, where float centers thrive. This is our weekly podcast where we share our stories of starting and running our float centers. We'd love for you to join us as we work together on raising our education level, on building, marketing, and running our float centers. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Art of the Float. And you can see us on uh, artofthefloat.com, where you can find show notes, links, pictures from every episode, all that good stuff. I'm Dylan. I'm one of your co-hosts. I own the Float Shop in Portland, Oregon, and I'm joined with Amy of Float Nashville, and producer Brian is joining us this week as well. I want to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters this week. Thanks for signing up, Nick Jones. Thank you so much for your support. Vicki Pratt, thank you so much for your support of uh, keeping this ship afloat here. We really appreciate it, and uh, we truly are humbled by everybody signing up and wanting to support this ship where... We do our best to just bring the entire community to you, all the leading information to you. And of course, we uh, bare our souls every week as well and share <laughs> our stories of what's going on with our float centers. So thank you guys so much for um, reciprocating, for supporting us. However you want to say it, we're, we're very humbled and honored for your support. Thank you. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Art of the Float is where you want to go. If you want to help support us, you can also find a link for that on artofthefloat.com as well. Before we get into our weekly updates, I want to give a shout out to Float Helm. Uh, this is the software that is designed from the ground up to help run your float center from your computer. So that means everything from scheduling people, uh, scheduling your clients to scheduling your employees for, uh, for the work week. And you can actually see all the hours that they're working so that you can calculate payroll, all that good stuff. Also, some really important stuff that's just specific to a float center, uh, including your tank measurements, chemistry, uh, the salinity that uh, your float tank is at, just making sure it's always at a particular level. Your city uh, health inspector comes knocking at the door and wants to know how you're running your float tanks. Well, guess what? As long as you've been open, you've got the metrics, you've got the recordings on what your, uh, what your float tanks have looked like this whole time. So that's where you want to be, and that's how you want to, how you want to run your float center. Floathelm.com is where you want to go, and of course you want to schedule uh, a tour of that as well, which is absolutely awesome that they offer that. Amy, how are you doing this week? How are you doing? How am I doing? I'll tell you what, I am hearing crickets this week. It is quiet. Oh, yeah? Yeah, one of those kind of weeks. I'm doing great. My float <laughs> center... Uh, I'm a little, little uh, on the dead part. So it. the the eclipse has passed. Yeah. <laughs> that, that eclipse. Can't blame it on gone. the eclipse anymore. Uh, <laughs> so so interestingly though, it's not just us. Mark and I went out the last night, and it was uh -huh. Labor Day weekend. It was the, the the end of the Labor Day weekend, and I looked back at our books, and every Labor Day. Uh, Labor Day, I should say, we have been booked solid. Uh, so we stayed open mm. Labor Day this week, this mm -hmm. year. And uh, I noticed as Mark and I were out and about, I looked in on our schedule as, as I'm prone to do. Right, right. And <laughs> found out we only had one floater. Now we're only open wow. five to 11, um, which means oh, okay. we only have nine floats available, but still one still. floater <laughs> when we're used to being booked up yeah. was like, oh, that was like kind of a shot through the heart, you know? That's uh, weird. I mean, it is weird. Like Christmas, you close down because people, uh, not a lot of people are floating on Christmas. There are certain holidays, you know, it's expected. But right. there are other holidays that you do fill up, and especially if you've historically filled up, what's going on? Yeah. Well, you know, we have some theories. Mark and I, like I was saying, Mark and I were out and about, and we mm -hmm. were we went to a movie, Labor Day. I've gone out to movies on Labor Day. It's usually pretty busy. It's something to do. Yeah. Um, we were two of five people in the theater. Parking lots were empty. Actually, right before we got started, Mark just texted me to tell me that the uh, parking lot near the mall, uh, 
near, at the mall near us was half empty. Um, so some weird stuff is going on, uh, and I do have some theories. Now, we are down in the south, southeast portion of the U.S., down here in Nashville, and we have, even though we are not, we were not hit by Harvey, per yeah. se, we did get a lot of the leftovers. We did have flooding. We did have some problems here in our city. Um, and I wonder, too, if this whole, you know, Harvey, a lot of people are giving money and giving their, their extra money and their time, as they huh. should, to those people who are dealing with Harvey. So, uh, to me, this week after Harvey, I'm wondering if other float centers are seeing just a bit of a dip as yeah. that extra money kind of goes to help people, which is awesome, by the way. Um, but the other issue that is affecting us, uh, I think this is it, um, is that we have a gas gas shortage. So, when Harvey went through and shut down the oil refineries, uh, we stopped getting gas <laughs> for huh. a few weeks. Uh, so what we have been told is we will not be receiving gas for two weeks. Whoa. Um, we are expected to be out of gas <laughs> by the middle of um, next week. What? Yeah. Which has happened in Nashville before. Oh, Most wow. times is people, ha people um, panic. But yeah, we, we completely run out of gas. Um, and y anywhere you go, there's just no gas stations with gas. It's a very bizarre situation to be in. But I notice when we get to <laughs> the situation, people start to panic. Uh -huh. And everybody's kind of like going out and buying their extra containers and <laughs> right. keeping a little extra gas at their house yeah. and trying to keep their, their cars uh, topped up. Uh, gas has gone up. Um, let's see. Today, I went and topped off my gas tank while I still can, and right. it was up 76 cents from what I was used to paying. Oh, wow. 76 cents a gallon. So I am assuming that, you know, there has been so much going on and so much that's affecting our area, maybe not directly, but indirectly. People are feeling a little scared. People mm -hmm. are feeling a little nervous. And when people get nervous, they have a tendency to to stay home and to yep. burrow and to stop to, spending not on the frivolous. Yeah, not, stop spending. <laughs> I was going to say frivolous, but yeah, not on the, the right the extras, the stuff yeah. that's that feels like it's um, like it's a luxury. That, that's really Inter interesting. It's it's like the scary yeah. economy, like when the the economy dips, like you know the Dow Jones doesn't necessarily impact your actual day to day life, but the yeah. fear of it affects your spending. You know that that's interesting, or the stock market. Absolutely, that's really interesting. Absolutely. And, you know, it does kind of give you a glimpse of, you know, what if we have another 2008 all over again? Now, right. the reality of it is, you know, this happens. It happens every once in a while. Mm -hmm. We have this dip. What I'm really working on is, hey, you know what? This happens. I have a pretty good idea why it's happening. And by the way, it's not just us. It's other it's a massage therapist, of course, but it's also restaurants and it's also liquor stores. And it's also, you know, things yeah. that aren't necessarily um yeah, for a uh, second there, I thought it was just the movie that you went to go see. The new Alvin and the Chipmunks movie, you and Mark and three <laughs> yeah. other people. That makes sense to me. That but makes other sense. businesses were also impacted. Okay. That, yeah, that doesn't make Alvin sense. Alvin Chipmunks, I understand. We have a we, we have very niche taste. But <laughs> very, uh, <laughs> one way to say it. A little niche taste. Very niche. But um <laughs> but, no. No, but at least you're into it together. Better. That's fantastic. But we, you know, you know, when you find somebody who can handle that, you know, you just grab onto them and say, "You're <laughs> you my BFF forever." <laughs> you go out and you buy the BFF necklace. He gets half, That's I right. get half, and you oh, just never let him go. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it, it is. It's it's these times that I think, even though we may be one of the people experiencing this, I don't think everybody's experiencing this right now. But mm -hmm. yeah, all no, the this float to shop say, is not. 
at all. You're we're, rocking it. We're, we're, we're doing pretty, pretty all right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Been, yeah. August was great. September has been fine so far. And all, yeah. And all this to say that when you have these times, it's really easy to get panicky mm. and do crazy stuff. And when I say <laughs> do crazy stuff, um, I'm thinking a little bit more along the lines of what I flash see sale. people do is all of a sudden it's like, yeah, flash sale. sale. All of a sudden, social media um, oh, like becomes extraordinarily active. Um, all of a sudden I'm getting, you know, I haven't heard from them in my uh, voice and in my inbox for months and months and months. And all of a sudden I'm getting like three newsletters oh, in three days. Interesting. And it's this panic um, response. And it's a very attractive look. Super yeah. sexy. <laughs> There's one thing I know. <laughs> Panic looks good on you. Yeah, desperation <laughs> is quite the attractant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, learned exactly. that in college. Yeah, real good stuff. <laughs> you learned that. Yeah, <laughs> learned that hard way. I understand. Um, yeah. So, just a reminder during these times. First of all, be consistent always. Always send out your newsletter. Nice. We we send right. our newsletter out once a month. We are starting to start trying to do it twice a month. Oh wow. Um, yeah, we're gonna ease them into it. So we've had, you know, we've been consistent with once a month for a while. We're gonna start to. Get them used to seeing us twice a month and see how that goes. Um, and be consistent with social media. Don't go crazy. Don't bug them because the more that you put out and the less that people are clicking on it and liking it because they're annoyed, um, the less people are going to see your stuff and you just get into this hmm. horrible, vicious circle. Oh, that's interesting. That yeah. is not yeah. going to serve you at all. So just to keep that in mind um, and remember that consistency counts the rest of the time, even when things are fantastic. Um, however, if things are slow for you, some of the things I've been doing, we are working on reactivating, like this is what I do every time it gets slow. Not that I'm expecting people to be reactivated, but it is a really great time to start, you know, dipping into that and, and reaching out to them maybe a little bit more, reminding them that we're here. You, do you, I'm sorry, you, did, did you mean yeah. that like people haven't visited cer for a certain who amount of time? Who haven't been for a okay. long, yeah, yeah, who haven't been there. Um, and usually during these times, we have a consistent schedule for, um, for 60 days out, 90 days out, but this is like you're reaching back a little bit. You're just yeah. saying, hey, you know, we're here. Um, we'd love to see you or, you know, Hey, if there's something we can help you with information that you need, here's some things that you might enjoy based nice. on the fact that you came to see us. Um, so it's a really nice time to reactivate. That reactivation is very specific. It doesn't get blasted to your entire people. Mm -hmm. Um, also I've always said that I'm not a big believer in sales. We don't do many sales. That said, it's true. I do very few sales that are blasted across to everybody that are done in public. Mm -hmm. But during this time, I'll reach out to like our uh, the people who are really um, big evangelists, <laughs> float evangelists, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and say, hey, if you bring somebody new, I'll give you a free float. Nice. Or, you know, it's very specific. We, we get those. We, we extend offers, but only to specific people that we have a relationship with my, my eyes were kind of open with uh facebook marketing and then it, it probably should have started with email but it was really facebook marketing that made me realize like how specifically we can target mm -hmm. and and that's exactly what we should be doing and kind of just calling through our email list regularly and going like who who should be targeted and how should they be targeted and i like what you said like sales are okay but it's not publicly all the time sales deal 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 that I just really think lowers the value of what floats look like. And I, I do subscribe to some float centers and I do get those emails that are just every time it's a new deal, it's a new sale, it's a new package. And I'm just like, I, I don't feel like 
it's good for your business. I don't think that's a healthy, sustainable way to do it. But also, I just don't think it's good for the industry as well. But when you kind of have these, hey, buddy, like, you know, we're friends behind the scene type little secret handshake. I, I like that a lot more. Yeah, but of course you're doing that. Of course, that's that's what you're doing. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, really, <laughs> when's the last time you reached out to your private personal Facebook page and said, hey, guys, huh. um, get a friend's get a friend's deal. Bring along a friend, you know, come six years. For, <laughs> like yeah, a grand opening. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, sometimes it's nice to I'll, I'll do it from time to time. If we have some last minute openings or something, I'll go out and give it super cheap. Just a friend. Um, as long as they promise to either write a review, write about their experience truthfully. And I always remind them hmm. I'm not here oh, asking right. you to like blow smoke up my butt. Um, but you know, talk about it on social media, talk about the good and bad, whatever, but, um, cause it's our job to work really hard to make sure you have a great experience, but you know, I want honesty. Um, yeah, sometimes even in just exchange for that, uh, we have some, we have some really special moments some really great opportunities with our friends and family that sometimes mm-hmm. we have a tendency to forget about as we're trying to woo those clients in. So cool. Something to keep in mind during the slow times. <laughs> I'm reminding <laughs> myself of this so I don't go into panic mode. Well, I think it's just other, as much for you as for me. Well, yeah, it is. It is for me. The, the other <laughs> big takeaway was just be regular, be consistent with your yeah. newsletter and like always be present. Don't all of a sudden go boop, boop, boop and, you know, blow the horns and throw the confetti when yeah. when you're <laughs> feeling desperate. Be consistent <laughs> all the time. And, and you could still, even if it is a sale or something like that, sneak that in with with a regular email, not the three emails in one month or a Facebook sale or what have you. I, yeah. I, I dig yeah. that. I like that. And and definitely do it for the people that you have that you're trying to build that relationship with. Dylan, I really like what you do, and this is an option too for slow yes. months. Is you reach out to businesses, to specific businesses, and you're like, oh, during sure. this month, I want to offer you and your employees or you and mm-hmm. your clients this special. Um, I think that's pretty brilliant too, and that's something that you can do. Um, that's just a, a bunch of goodwill, you know, it's, it's, it's goodwill. It's, it's goodwill. And it's also, uh, especially if you are in, in a slumpy time and we do it every month, but yeah, if your float tanks are empty, like, why would you not, not be doing that? Yeah. yeah very cool. And, and they get awesome. back to work and they talk about it. Unlike just mm-hmm. like free floats for everybody or some, something like that, like where it's scatter plot, this is all clustered in one business. So they're going to be talking about it. And the people who missed out next month, they're still going to go in or they bring their family in, you know, next, next time they visit, uh, Portland, that kind of thing. So yeah, it, it works out really well. I've, I've been really pleased with, with how it goes. Yeah. You know, I'm going to give props real quickly to float on. Cause this is something they said, probably the first or second float conference that has always, always, mm. always stuck with me. And I think it's probably one of the smartest, smartest things out there that you can think about when you are doing your marketing is anytime you do a sale, always have a reason behind it. Be very specific. Don't just be like, oh my gosh, uh, we're slow this week. Somebody put a sale out there. Mm -mm. Always have it tied in with a reason. It's just always be a reason behind it and never done indiscriminately. Be, Be conscious when you're offering something to your clients. So, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff, good stuff. So thanks yeah, for Float On. I think it was Graham and Ashcon at their talk in the first, maybe the second year nice. Float Conference for that. Yeah. yeah, if we could all do that, <laughs> I would I would love that. <laughs> we would up our game. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, yeah. What's so, I've been going on about this, and things are going great for you. So what else is going on up there at the Float Shop, Dylan? Uh, well, I've been coughing up ash, as, as Brian has as well. Oh. The gorge is on fire right now. We had some dummy kids uh, filming each other, shoot, lo- throwing fireworks into oh. super dry no <laughs> forest. Way. Yeah, 
Uh, and um, so, yeah, we've got a crazy fire going on in the gorge. The pictures are ridiculous. And the photos I see, it's like, it, it's places I've been or seen, you know, like these, this is familiar territory. And then it's yeah. that picture of it just on fire is crazy. Uh, Brian, you might I even just, spend uh, more time out there than I do. Yeah, I've spent so much time hiking and running out there. I just, someone, I just saw a photo before we started of um, part of the old historic highway. And, you know, it's like it, yes. it'll go through the rock and there's like wooden beams that yep. form yep. the structure of the tunnel. That was in flames. Like, I think I ran through that um, during a race a couple of years ago. And now it's. Oh, wow. Now it's gone. So it's it's a huge That's bummer. I'm crazy. And I'm sorry, I mean. I was going to say, I was watching Brian's Instagram today. Brian, What's Instagram? Producer Brian Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I will come to Portland and personally smack you, Dylan. One of these days, Dylan. Um, days, <laughs> and I was looking at his, he was showing a picture of his windshield, and it was, oh, you yeah. couldn't see through the windshield. There was so much ash. Are you having clients come in with issues? Are, is there, have you found there's anything about floating that has eased that, or do you find that there's that's a complaint or with your clients? <sighs> They're coming in to float to get relief from that? Because that's crazy. It's a good question. I, I don't know. I haven't had anybody anybody specifically say that's why they're they're here. And, you know, I'm not I'm not there all the time to hear the feedback either. But I mean, people are just talking about it. It's like, whew, yep, got the uh, ash snow coming down. Like, it, it's a talk... Anytime you talk to somebody, it's brought up for sure. But I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. it's best to stay indoors. So, like, floating is going to be a good thing right now. But I don't know that it's motivating people to to come in or not. What were you going to say, Brian? Ash would, oh. yeah. I was going to say, yeah, Sorry. people are people are talking about it, but don't don't seem overly concerned. They're just there's people walking about. I saw a couple joggers earlier. Yeah. I, I, don't I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. It feels slower than usual, just like foot traffic and all that. Yeah, lighter. No, there's definitely less people outside. But yeah. yeah, I've been shocked to see people going for runs and things like that. When like my throat, I don't know if you can hear it if it's coming through, but like it's it's uh, feels raspier. I feel like kind of yucky in the back of my throat. Like this ash is impacting me, and it feels like we're on Mars right now. It is crazy because our entire sky is one color of gray, and then you can <laughs> I'm sure. It's just me and Donald Trump doing this, but I, I can look at the sun and it doesn't, I, you can just look at it. It's crazy that I can see the spots, little black spots on the sun that, you know, you only see from, you know, really awesome cameras uh, on your computer that you, you don't normally, you're not able to look at it directly, I guess with, with some glasses and what have you, but uh, it's weird right now. Uh, literally raining ash in in portland it's it's a weird thing and it feels like post-apocalyptic like it, it brings up some weird yeah. things you know with some with uh, global warming sure. this isn't necessarily related but um it's just like what could our future look like and it, it just brings up some weird emotions uh for for us dirty liberals it's it's weird <laughs> um brian what else any anything else about the our new wasteland of portland no, that's it. That's a little Mad Max out there. I think it is. <laughs> I mean, it's straight out of a of of a movie. Just ash in the air is the weirdest mm -hmm. thing. And yeah, like like on on your cars or you turn on your wipers. I mean, even just getting into your car, ash follows you in, and it's floating around in there. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, we it, we were at a coffee shop today where there was ash floating around. Just right. as people would, I was like, what are you would blowing walk at, in Brian? and order their coffee? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So bizarre. So bizarre. Yeah, our, our, our thoughts and prayers go out to everyone that's affected by these fires, and we Sorry. hope that... Uh, 
Which includes the wildlife too. Yeah, Man, that's brutal. That is brutal. There's there's no way that's not being impacted. The the wildlife. Yeah. Uh, but and yeah, and the fire recovery. even jumped jumped uh, the gorge too. So like it is not wow. stopping. It. It's yeah, scary. Washington's on fire now as well. It's twenty thousand yeah. acres in the gorge on the Oregon side. Another ten thousand on the Washington side. Any I've towns heard. affected? Or in the oh, way? Oh yeah, the the ma- a major freeway is shut down that goes wow. through the gorge. Um, plenty. Of oh yeah, right. Yeah, three that or four, three or four down. cities have been evacuated. Yeah. Uh, I've got a buddy who's a forest firefighter, and he sent me a crazy picture of just burnt down forest and ash floor with a red sun. I'll ask for permission to put that up on the website if you want to see that, and I'll put it up on social media too. It's it's weird. The devastation's crazy. You know, we just had uh, Gatlinburg right here in Tennessee. Uh, the Smoky Mountains caught on fire. Uh, kids set it on fire. Right. And yeah. uh, burnt down uh, Gatlin- half Gatlinburg. And uh, it was just so crazy to see afterwards all that devastation. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I almost, you know, I don't want to go because... It's you know it's going to be years and years and years until those trees come right, back until right. the wildlife comes back. Yep. It's just a totally different place. It's a place that used to be this wonderful <sighs> respite and this beautiful uh, natural setting, and now it's charred trees and the wildlife is is uh, disappeared. So what a right. sad sad day not only for for y'all but there's just so much going on in our country right now yeah. as far as natural disasters. <laughs> yeah, um, we have another. Uh, Another hurricane coming up here, uh, Irma. So uh, we're also going to be getting a little bit of that as well. Once again, not nearly like what the the people on the coast are. So, but uh, but we all feel feel the impact across the U.S. Yeah, it's it's some weird times right now for sure. It's it's spooky and uh, it just feels very close to home. And, you know, there are other disasters happening around the country that are affecting far larger populations. And uh, it's just hard empathy to reach out that far, but with, when it's within our borders and our communities, it, it, it seems to impact us more. And uh, it does, it is happening, just seems like one after the other right now. Also, should we not just keep kids indoors for the first 30 years of their life? Like, until just those <laughs> hormones chill out, can we just have a big dome or something and they can feel like they're outside? I don't know. Like, eh, it's just kids, man. Don't, kids. Don't, don't give them anything flammable. That's certainly all not. Certainly not. <laughs> Teach your kids about the dangers of fire. I, we're, we're I cannot imagine doing that as a kid. I cannot even imagine it. Yeah. Like, my respect for nature, like, from my parents and my teachers, like, what is the missing link here where these kids think that's fun and they should be doing that without consequences? Just beyond me. Yeah, but wow, gosh, for, we do know who started these fires, and uh, I'm really curious what's going to happen to them. Well, that's what's going on in Portland. Lots of hot float talk. I'm just glad we yeah. give all that float information and catch you up. I feel like there, we're coming up with ash floating in the air. Yes, <laughs> yes, we use the word float now. Bridge complete. So okay. Segway done. Excellent. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um. Okay, I tell you what, th- this is one thing, and I'll, I'll uh, post in Float Collective as well, and maybe uh, we can bring this into the next episode. So we, we have uh, speak pipes. We don't talk about it a whole lot, um, but if you would leave a speak pipe, I am curious, when we have professional athletes uh, floating or the potential for them to float, how do we entice a team to come in? How do we make 
how do we want an entire group of people to to want to spend 90 minutes doing nothing? Because in general marketing, we, we kind of find the people who find this appealing or they have a particular problem and, and we want them to come in and we can provide some kind of a, a benefit or relief to that. And then um, when it comes to athletes, uh, very similarly to, to that, but also, um, you know, it's, it's kind of one-on-one. It's these individuals who want to come in. But what do we, if I want to attract an entire team to want to do this, how do I get those teammates to want to come in and, and keep coming back to find the benefits? And um, I, I know Amy has thoughts on this, but I'm going to ask that she not answer tonight. Sorry, <laughs> Tell Amy. me to shut up. So you furiously <laughs> scribbling notes down like I got this, this, that, and the other. <laughs> Don't throw that piece of paper away. Um, because I, I also want to mix in, if anybody wants to leave a speak pipe, I'd love to hear what your guys' ideas are. Obviously, this is a time-sensitive one. If you're listening to this in 2018, um, well, tweet us or, or whatever the newest social media it. is. Trust me. That uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, send us a send us a hollow texture. Uh, follows something. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, follows that. Whatever's yeah. hot. Follows that. Would you would you buy that domain real quick, Brian? Follows I'm already that. on it. Yeah, feel like thank you. That, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious what your guys' thoughts are. I mean, I have some, but no, I don't think any of them are great. And I, I know uh, Amy's got good ideas, but I want to get a, a swath of that. And if anybody uh, wants to answer on Float Collective as well, I'll, I'll post the question and we can uh, read those on air as well. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, so I'm curious about that, but I do want to get to our uh, our main topic, which is a, a great interview we had with Colin Stanwell Smith of Float Away. It is uh, quite quite a um, provocative interview, and Colin is very intelligent. So what's really fun is it's not just controversy for controversy's sake or hot topics just to, to talk about it. He has real genuine opinions and thoughts with information to back it up, uh, back up his opinions. And so he, he talks about some really, really cool stuff that I think everybody's going to enjoy. I certainly did. Uh, but uh, before we do segue over to that, um, to Colin, I want to uh, mention that our Amazon link, which has been a wonderful support from, I think, since we very first began, people have been bookmarking our Amazon link. And um, basically, anytime that you go shopping for your float center or personal, whatever it is, as long as it's your homepage, uh, if you have um, uh, Art of the Float, uh, this link that we have, uh, a few ducats come our way when you make a purchase. doesn't cost you anything, and it's so awesome. We <laughs> truly appreciate it. Uh, and um, what just came out, Amazon just released a new code or, I don't know, some newfangled technology that means uh, basically we weren't making anything from Canadians. And all of a sudden, uh, this link means that if you're in, I think, the UK, if you're in Canada, I don't think Australia, Ryan can correct me on this, but basically, yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh, at the moment, it's just uh, Canada and uh, UK. Okay, well, that that's definitely definitely makes an impact for us. So mm-hmm. um, if you are Canadian, if you booked us, bookmarked us in the past, uh, if you do uh, visit our website again, we have a new link that would mean the world to us. It'd be awesome. And uh, and again, thank you guys so much for taking the time to do that. It, it is amazing to us that uh, people are willing to to take the time to do that. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. And, and of course, our, our U.S. Uh, citizens as well. Thank you so much for supporting us by, by just bookmarking that and that being the the thing that helps support us uh, every time you shop so thank you uh also i want to just mention uh our new 
I, I mentioned this last last episode, but we're partnering up with ProFloat. And basically what this means is ProFloat makes float tanks, but the really cool thing that we're partnering up with them about is the fact that they sell float products. And this is something that I, I know every entrepreneur, every float center entrepreneur has had this idea of, why don't I be the distributor for float products? And uh, a few people have tried it, and uh, I think ProFloat is really doing it right, uh, that that they're coming up with all the products that the float centers need. They're really good at establishing partnerships with these distributors. And so uh, what we are asking of our listeners is to go through our link on artofthefloat.com forward slash profloat and go through that link to do any of your shopping with them. So next time that you're looking for, I think earplugs are coming in very soon. Probably by the time you, you hear this, they'll have earplugs. Um, and uh, I don't know, gosh, they, they, have float, uh, excuse me, float pH up and alkalinity. They have the the neck halos, all this good stuff that you'll need for your float center. Um, the starter have, kits are cool too. And the starter kit, that's right. Oh yeah, the starter kit's a no-brainer. If if uh, your float center isn't open yet, this is one that I would have purchased when I first opened. It was just just everything that you need that hopefully you never need to use your pH up and your alkalinity. I mean, of course you're going to need to occasionally, but as long as it's all balanced, you're good, but you can't have a float center without these things. You have to have it just in case so that you can, uh, you know, re up or down or whatever it is that you need. So uh, it makes a lot of sense and, um, mention the code AOF to receive free shipping, uh, of orders that are $200 or more. And uh, yeah, so thanks to ProFloat, and uh, I'm excited about this little partnership here. So Colin Stanwell Smith, I'm really excited to share it with you, and here is Colin Stanwell Smith. This is Dylan, and I have engineer Brian here with me. We were, managed to grab Colin from FloatAway at the Float Conference and bring him into our incredible recording studio. We'll have to share some pictures of this uh, very high-end facility that we're in. Yeah, it's and very impressive. <laughs> very impressive. We're able to bring Colin in and just immediately get him to recording. This hasn't been an hour of setup at all, but uh, it's been fun hanging out. And uh, I've, I've wanted to interview Colin for quite some time now. I think we're coming up on two years on the podcast, and the time zone has been quite an issue for doing that. So this is really a great chance to check in with you, check in with FloatAway, and... Uh, I think Colin is a very brilliant man, and I'd love to hear some of his opinions on what's going on in, in the industry and all that. And, uh, you know, before telling a little bit about how we met and how we've started our relationship, maybe we should just start and go ahead and dive into some of the more pressing matters that's going on in the industry. And I think perhaps nothing is more urgent and pressing right now than potential regulations. And I feel like you're pretty, pretty, um, you're the finger on the pulse as far as that's going. Um, so would you first want to fill our audience in on what you think is going on, uh, transpiring, and then maybe some opinions on that? Well, I, I've caught up a lot at the conference in the last few days. And um, I have been keeping a kind of distant eye on what's been happening with the uh, NSF, for example, which is now translated into CDC getting interested. Mm -hmm. And I guess um, a lot of your listeners will know that the CDC has decided to, be, to try to include floating in the Model Aquatic Health Code. And uh, they have made proposals which have been bulldozed through, I think is a fair word, um, against the advice and um, evidence coming from not only those of us in the float industry that are manufacturers but also regulators uh, 
uh, and experts and academics mm -hmm. like uh, Justin Feinstein, mm -hmm. everybody has been saying that this process doesn't seem to be right, it doesn't seem to be fair. And in summary, the CDC uh, are pushing through in particular the requirement to use ozone in disinfection. And uh, there are other important things too, but that one issue has got everybody uh, very exercised. Um, and certainly I, uh, I have tried ozone and I, I feel I know something about it. Uh, what's irritating is that two aspects. One is that if it goes through and becomes adopted by all of the states or some of the states, uh, it will require a float center to use a very expensive ozonator. Mm. People have been talking about it costing uh, $9,000. Uh, I don't know whether that will come down or up mm. by the time it becomes into law by state. Um, but the cost is not really the issue that exercises me because as a manufacturer, uh, we all would want a level playing field. If the rules are clear, then everybody can okay. has to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be retrospective, which affects a lot of float centers. Mm -hmm. There's no grandfathering in. If it becomes the rule, mm -hmm. everybody will have to get these ozonators. But as I say, I don't think it's the cost. It is the science. The NSF-approved ozonator is tested at what we would call room temperature. And at room temperature, which is typical, for example, for swimming pools, the solubility of ozone in water is way higher than it is at, say, 95 Fahrenheit. You only have to look at the data sheets, which can be found anywhere, to see that the solubility of ozone in water goes right down by the time you've hit 95 Fahrenheit. Okay. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that it stops working as a disinfectant. Okay. And we know that in a float tank, in the solution, which uh, the FDA is encouraging us all to say instead of water, we must, one of the big errors in this process is that all the regulators assume that we're using water. And there's all mm. this experience with the way in, in which infections can occur in water. But mm -hmm. we're using a nearly saturated solution of Epsom salt, and it's a very different animal. So ozone at 95 hardly dissolves in water at all. But the method of adding ozone is universally the same. You, you create bubbles stream of bubbles of ozone that is injected into the solution. Those bubbles will be from small to microscopic in practice. Each bubble will have a surface area and a little bit of that ozone will dissolve in the water. And I, I think you can see that the solubility, the, the um, concentration, I should say, of the ozone in the little skin of water surrounding every bubble will obviously increase. It'll rapidly increase to the maximum possible for ozone at that temperature, mm -hmm. which is not very much. Okay. What then happens is that those bubbles, large and small, will come out of the water and the ozone will be released into the air. And this is not theoretical. I, 
I, uh, years ago, was interested in ozone. I had an ozonator. I tried it on our float tanks, and I tested the ozone in the air and the ozone in the water. And you, you, you test ozone in the water by putting some in a test tube and shaking it vigorously, okay. and the ozone comes out into the air. That's a bit of a clue there. That's how you test ozone in the water, that you release the air bubbles vigorously, and then you test it in air. Interesting. Okay. So... It's internationally agreed that ozone is toxic. And well-established building codes in the United States say that the, the amount of ozone you should be breathing over a long-term exposure, such as an hour, is very tiny. And I can assure everybody that if you use an ozonator, even if you use a vacuum extraction, which is what this expensive equipment does, it then it puts the ozone in and then ozone in and then it extracts it again with a vacuum even with that you are bound to get thousands of times more ozone in the airspace in the float tank than is recognized as being toxic so that just seems a really strange thing to do and this equipment has not been tested and approved at 95 fahrenheit it's been tested and approved at say 70 or a room temperature and not in salt solution not salt water solution and Pure water or chlorine right. Water. So the second part of that kind of argument is that if you're putting the ozone in and then taking it out with a vacuum, uh -huh. how can you possibly argue you're then getting any kind of residual in the uh, main solution in the tank? You can't. Obviously, you're you're saying you're putting it in in a stream and taking it straight out again. So it's only working during that period that it's in the water. Mm. So um, it just seems a very strange. Uh, way to regulate, especially, of course, when we all know that there are other systems that work very, very well and have been shown to work over years and years. Uh, I have a lot of experience with chlorine. Chlorine doesn't have to be the terrible animal it's made out to be because it can be measured. The mm. NSF actually said they found that the ORP probes were not working in the float solution. And I, I just have to say they really didn't try very hard oh, interesting. because we have them commercially working in float tanks. They last for a year or so. In Germany, every single float tank has to have chlorine with the redox probe, and it works. I mean, to say that it doesn't work. You are able to get readings? And the, yeah, Absolutely. And if you do that, uh, the level of chlorine you have to have in the water to achieve a positive potential of 750 millivolts, which is internationally agreed to, kill everything mm. within a second or so, okay. you hardly can measure it on a test strip. You are using considerably less than one part per million chlorine, and you don't get a massive smell, and you don't mm. get so many. However, I'm not proposing chlorine <laughs> because um, I'm just pointing out that in, in another um, very well scientifically based regulation, which is in Germany, they went away from peroxide and in favor of chlorine. And that's the law. That's the law now in Germany. But if nothing else, what you're saying is there are other options besides. There are other options, and of course, the option we all want to see is hydrogen peroxide in UV, because it's very convenient. It doesn't have any smell. It's very easy to apply. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change the pH, um, and it's effective. It's effective from any operator's point of view mm -hmm. because uh, it's been in use for uh, at least uh, 20 years as a method for disinfecting solutions. Um, the 
the, 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 ne the, the weak link in our argument is that nobody has tested the peroxide system with a fully inoculated scientific test. So that, what that means is that we know it works in a float center. There's never been an example of cross-infection in a float center. Mm. And if you're doing the normal tests, which is uh, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, you will find that there aren't any if you're using peroxide. But what hasn't happened is putting really nasty bacteria and viruses into a solution and then proving you can kill it in a suitably short time, which would be you know minutes, uh, using peroxide in UV. And I really hope that we get those tests done. They have to be done in the right way, probably through the NSF so that they can be believed. Mm -hmm. And we need to get the money together so that those tests can be done because then we'll have proper evidence against um, ozone. I, I cannot see that it's right to proceed with ozone. And by the way, there are manufacturers who are using ozonators right now, small devices rather like the one I tested. Uh, they will not be NSF approved. They're not good enough. They don't put enough ozone in and they don't take it out. it out. So we are talking about a big change. And in timescales, what I understand, and I'm not an authority on this, but if the CDC vote this through and the FTA are encouraging us to all become members of the CDC, I believe it costs $40, mm -hmm. we all then get a vote mm -hmm. and we can vote against this, mm -hmm. but we only are allowed to have 50% of the total vote. Yeah. So uh, I am hoping that we can lobby the uh, regulating members of the board of the CDC so that some of them start to have doubt that mm -hmm. this is actually not the right time to push this through. It's against the evidence. It's not taking account of the industry or the experience of float center operators. And I hope it uh, goes away, but I fear that it won't. If it doesn't mm -hmm. go away and the CDC pass it, then every state, in fact, I think it comes down to every local authority regulator has to decide whether to adopt that code. Mm -hmm. It's only a recommendation. Right. But we know in history the CDC has a massive reputation, of course, and there would be a very strong incentive for any regulator if they're asked, what are you going to do about float tanks, to say, well, the CDC has made a recommendation, right. we'll go with that. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't they? Which, which is based off, is it based off NSF's recommendation? Is that The NSF, I'm curious of course. About how that, that bridge, because just a year or so ago, it was, wow, NSF is making all of the... the well, all, all I can the, say all the is shots. that the, the... I don't know the relationship between the NSF and the CDC, but it's remarkable that the documents the NSF were putting through are kind of identical <laughs> to the ones that the CDC are putting through. And the... The approved equipment will be an NSF-approved equipment. And, of course, you know that the NSF is quite different. The NSF is a commercial non-profit who have given themselves, if you like, the duty of protecting public health through water-based mm. systems, whereas the CDC is the Communicable Diseases Unit, a much higher-ranking organisation. It's not actually the government, uh, but it's... Close to the government and certainly has the authority that this is a federal recommendation. So it would really be uh, rather neat for us in the industry if we can manage to get that 
current proposal, which is going through in uh, September, October time, if we could get that voted out at this stage, it would be a, a major advance. Now, are the are both the CDC and the NSF global entities, or does it only affect the United States? This is only the United States. Okay. However, I must say the CDC is internationally recognized, and uh, recommendations that the CDC put out are certainly uh, watched mm. with interest with all other regulators, okay. and it would be uh, a worry if um, people said, oh, hey, they're, they're saying ozone and... Uh, this could sweep gradually into other authorities. Absolutely. Right. So they are an influencer. Oh, a big yeah, influencer. But, but big influencer. Listeners can't pay forty dollars and vote against. Oh uh, well, um, uh, that's right. Every person who becomes a member and pays their forty dollars gets a vote. Sorry, Canadian, but you must be a U.S. citizen, I assume. Well, we would do it through. We we now have a U.S. company in Tulsa, mm -hmm. so we could do it on behalf of our company. Um, oh, and I'm not sure that it wouldn't be uh, within the rules for to have international members. But as I say, all these members only add up to 50%. Right. And all the regulators make the other 50%. So how many do we know how many there are? It seems like that's a worthwhile number. So we don't have to have everybody crowdsource $50,000 together. But if they only no. have 10 people, then that wouldn't be... You're right. I mean, I'm speaking personally now, but um, having increasing the number of member votes may not be the total strategy because... Mm -hmm. I think the strategy has to be lobbying the regulator members of that board who get the the other 50%. And if they all just go straight through, as you might expect, they'd say, well, the CDC recommend it. Why would we stand against that? They have to have some evidence from lobbying that actually this time this seems to be um, uh, going too fast and too far into what could be very damaging for the industry. Now, Really very damaging. What I've heard based off these conversations, is that um, there was a woman in particular, I can't remember her name, but she said, you know, let's get ahead of this because we all know that if we come up with this regulation now, it's not really going to be adopted until five years from now. So if we wait five years, three to five years for the research and for everything to come out, then we're waiting another five years for it to actually be, uh, for actual regulations, and then how many people are going to be harmed in the meantime, which sounds like a fair argument unless you look at the fact that it's not based on actual worth not even research i mean if, <coughs> if it doesn't work at at 95 degrees uh and if it's not pulling out all the ozone to a safe level then it's not for the safety so uh, why? I, I, yeah right i don't know about the wait and see argument because i can see that that could be the case it could wither on the vine having been voted through the cdc every state could then say actually this doesn't seem we don't want mm -hmm. this it's going to cost us to enforce it. It's going to hurt the industry. Um, but, of course, the danger there is that we're not talking about a small organization having a little opinion. Mm -hmm. We are talking about the CDC, who are responsible for communicable diseases. There is, of course, no evidence of a communicable disease ever having occurred in a float tank, mm -hmm. ever, anyway, ever, anywhere, I meant to say. Uh, despite some of those float centers in the early days not being particularly well maintained, uh -huh. or there's still never been, and you wouldn't expect it. You're, you're floating, you know, uh, with a 20 minute gap or whatever mm -hmm. between people floating. It's nothing like public swimming pools, where, of course, you do get cross infection. It can happen. We all know about Legionnaires and so on. So, um, and that, that brings me on to another bee in my bonnet, if you like, that the other thing in the CDC is 
a five turnover requirement between every flow. Oh, wow. okay. Now, five turnovers doesn't imply a time, but in many typical situations, it does imply a longer time mm -hmm. than we would currently think is commercially viable. Okay. And where does the five turnovers come from ah. in evidence? Now, if you take that point I made that you're putting ozone in and you're taking it out, you could see some logic. You're saying you've therefore got to really push all that water through that little tiny window of opportunity that the ozone has to do its killing work. Mm -hmm. You're not trying to get a residual in the water. Mm -hmm. So those two things fit together logically. But if you look at what happens in turnover, five turnovers, if you try to achieve that in 20 minutes, you would be thrashing the water around. Thrashing the water around... A generates an aerosol. We don't want to do that. Aerosols are potentially dangerous if there is any bacteria in the water. Oh, interesting. And right. secondly, we know from very practical trials that if you try to pump water from a closed vessel around very fast, you create huge eddies. Just like when you run a bathtub out, you get the water going around in circles. If you pump the water fast, you get stable eddies forming in the water. So you don't cycle all the water through your system doing that. And we have done practical trials in, in our uh, situation of what uh, is the most effective way to get all the water mm. you want filtered. And of course, I'm a big proponent of surface skimming, which they have taken absolutely no account. We all know that the solution is a high density. That's the whole idea. In this solution, all your skin flakes and hairs will float, absolutely will float. The bacteria that we're worried about, and if there were any viruses, are attached to the skin flakes and the hairs. So everything you could possibly be worried about is floating on the surface of the water. So when you want to clean it, the obvious thing to do is to skim the surface off as much as you can. Mm -hmm. you, can you can, with a very, I won't say modest, but with a typical pump situation, you can cycle that surface water through 20 times in 20 minutes easily and the bulk of the water less you 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 know it can mm -hmm. it's so the actual volume of the surface yeah. is so little so you don't actually try to take the bulk of the water through the system hmm. uh, five times to, to actually do, achieve that practically would be a major problem i or, mean or it's, it's not going to happen you know, wouldn't need to if it was hydrogen peroxide or chlorine but with ozone you do yeah you do need now we also water. know um i guess i'm going too much about peroxide here but i'm loving it i'm fascinated by hydrogen peroxide because anybody who's run the system will recognize that in some float tanks the hydrogen peroxide rapidly disappears just after it's been dosed and in other float tanks, the hydrogen peroxide is stable, apparently, for quite a long period. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is to do not with the infection in the water, it's to do with catalysis. The hydrogen peroxide is catalyzed into breaking down. And what we haven't got the science on, just like we haven't done inoculations, we don't know enough about hydrogen peroxide mm -hmm. in the solution because I believe the catalyst is iron, but I, haven't, I have no oh, way of proving okay. that. Iron is a very common um, contaminant in tap water. Mm -hmm. Even when we are using reverse osmosis water, which for example at Tulsa, everything is RO water, very, very clean, all the molecules are out of it. People are still getting in from the showers. Um, mm. 
running ordinary tap water through the showers, mm -hmm. and that will be guaranteed to have whatever's in the tap water. Mm -hmm. There's there's no requirement ever to get rid of the iron in the tap water or the manganese. And I think in some situations, it won't be as simple as just saying there's iron in the water. This iron comes in in colloidal form, and we're getting into now quite complex chemistry, but the iron in the tap water is not iron oxide or iron molecules. It's colloidal iron, which has been generated by bacteria in the ground. And it comes in somehow that can sometimes be a major catalyst for hydrogen peroxide and it just breaks down and sometimes it isn't. Now, if we could show that it's possible to treat the water in the right way, possibly with reverse osmosis or with chemistry, so that the peroxide is more stable in the water, I feel it will be a residual and mm -hmm. that puts it in the same class as chlorine. When you use chlorine, mm -hmm. it hangs around mm -hmm. so that you know that whatever you've done the water's safe, the solution is safe for uh, your 20 minutes or your hour. And in fact, it's days. The chlor so, mm, um, and we have seen float tanks that are in use, and this includes the um, open pool at Liber, where the peroxide levels remain stable. You Obviously, you're still putting some in, but you don't get a sudden collapse in the peroxide level. It is a residual. Mm -hmm. And I feel that we could prove that it's perfect for what we want. Mm -hmm. I feel it's doing the job. You don't. So, therefore, you wouldn't need to do five turnovers and you wouldn't need to use anything more complicated than hydrogen peroxide mm -hmm. and UV. You'll see residual for days with hydrogen peroxide? We have seen peroxide stable for days okay. in our solution, mm -hmm. including using floaters. Sure. Uh, so it's a little bit of a mystery there, but it's a mystery that any scientist should be fascinated to solve because <laughs> it's worth a lot of money. Well, if I had uh, any any reticence or, or nervousness about getting information out of you on this topic, I really didn't need to be. Uh, you've been very, <laughs> very open and incredibly well, articulate on this I'm topic. Well, I'm saying it how I see it, yeah. and but I'm also... I, 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 I'm an engineer, mm -hmm. I'm not a microbiologist, mm -hmm. but I'm capable of reading scientific papers mm -hmm. and I'm capable of reading basic information about ozone and peroxide. Now, why and that's the, that's the case. So when, how come none of this is discussed on the phone calls within the CDC? How come? It was discussed. Oh, no, I'm not saying that this is news. Uh, Bob well, Crandall, for example, who there are is- There of people who will have a vote who, who did vote this through for the next stage of voting who have no idea about any of this. this, this oh, I think many people, well, I think the biggest argument that's come up is look, we've been losing peroxide and UV for years in many, many mm -hmm. float centers mm -hmm. with many different ways of uh, loading the, you know, the floaters and so on and different pumping regimes and it works. The water stays gin clear, it's good, you know. It's, we, we have a system which with the experience of, what should we say, hundreds of thousands of floats, it works. We don't need to suddenly change <laughs> to using ozone. And, I'm, and I never said that ozone doesn't work as a disinfectant. Mm -hmm. I'm sure mm -hmm. it does work as a disinfectant because it doesn't have to work very hard. But the ozone in air is a big issue. It's fundamentally illegal to do what is proposed. Wow. 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 Uh, so you um, are a very smart man, and I have been told that you shouldn't make an argument unless you can argue the other side. So okay. how would you argue the other side of this? Why, why should ozone be pushed through now? 
Well, I, I'm really trying to understand that. I mean, there's, there's some reasons that I would say are not good reasons. For example, uh, some manufacturers have adopted ozone mm -hmm. and it works for them as a disinfectant. So there is certainly prior art that you can use ozone and of course it is used in many swimming pools and so on. One thing I picked up at this conference today from a um, UV manufacturer, no, I'm sorry, it was Kevin. You know Kevin in, in Texas? He said that he contacted the various manufacturers of um, ozone equipment uh -huh. and not one of them recommends their equipment for use indoors. Oh, and why would that be? That's because you cannot avoid the levels indoors mm -hmm. going way over what is agreed to be um, toxic. I, I remember years ago, a commercial during the float conference where they said, mm, smell that lightning, you know, like that lightning smell, it means we, it's clean. Yeah. And I think. If you go to a float center which is using ozone, you'll smell it as ozone. Well, if you got, if you know that smell, I mean, sure. I mean, I, I certainly recognize the smell. As you say, it's the fresh air on the ocean and that lightning, and um, right. it's a, quite a recognizable tangy kind of uh, smell, and that's probably at extremely low concentration in the air. We're talking mm. about parts per billion. Um, at higher concentrations, this is all in the literature, I don't have to make this up, higher concentrations, uh, it begins to affect your nose. You can start having irritation of the nose and eyes. Mm -hmm. And when you start getting into parts per million, say five parts per million, that can be fatal mm. in a couple of hours exposure. Mm. So we're not talking about a joke here. Mm -hmm. uh, we, and we are, as you know, we put people into a closed float system in which they're breathing the air, whatever ventilation, we're usually putting quite low levels of ventilation mm -hmm. through that. They are lying in the water breathing the ozone. I mean, I don't think it can be argued. It, it must be true. Right, and I'm, and I'm curious, and I don't know that you know the answer to this, although you could probably do some of the math on it, but just how frequently would you need to be floating to notice harmful results and would it need to be over years would it be if you well that i don't know right and, and then and I'd, I'd be concerned about i'm the quite sure that well. these these building code levels of ozone are clearly conservative i mean it, if they mm -hmm. rise right, above sure. the past forbidden level for a short time uh, as happens in, in a storm for example you know you're going to get some ozone mm -hmm. it doesn't people aren't dropping dead right. and so um so I'm really comparing one code with another. If you're going to recommend a code for float tanks that involves using ozone, and you have to use quite a lot. I know anecdotally that when Crash put ozone through his system, he had to push up the ozone until he passed the inoculation test that NSF used. Okay. So he wasn't using a little tiny ozonator that you can buy off the shelf for $90. Okay. He has a big ozone system, and his place, I believe, I've heard, clearly smells of ozone. Mm. So comparing codes, how can you have a code to put ozone in the, in the solution and ignore the fact that you cannot avoid putting ozone into the air, which is already against the building codes? Wow. How can that be right? Well, you know, just one thing, just because you mentioned the <laughs> he's not here to defend so himself. So you I, said, I, what's the positive argument? Well, well it's wait, hard. Wait, wait, wait. Before, before you continue, <laughs> I do just want to say, we don't know where the state of of crashes float tanks is right now, or if he's no, I'm not saying I'm I, that out there. But I, I'm only I, so I that's yeah, that's uh, I'm talking hearsay here, so sure, uh, but I, please continue. But but um, but I've done my ozone test in my own 
house with my own float tank, mm -hmm. and I was trying to make ozone work. I wanted to see what it would do. And what brand float tanks do you use? <laughs> <laughs> I used a Tranquility float tank, which we have in our house. I used a commercial ozonator and a commercial injector, which is just off the shelf. It was a small ozonator. Mm, okay. I ran it for about 10 minutes, putting ozone into the water, and I immediately started smelling ozone in the air. Sure. Uh, it lid closed during the Well, I did. Uh, I carried on for a long time um, because I was then regularly testing the water in the method I described where you have to shake the water and then measure the ozone. Oh, okay. And I, was, I left it running, running and running because I wanted to see some ozone in the water. Uh -huh. I never got to see a measurable level of ozone in the water, but the level That's in the air so was getting to the point where I think I'm going to have to stop this experiment mm -hmm. because it's getting ridiculous. Um, so that's my personal experience. I didn't do it with vacuuming the ozone out, it's fair mm -hmm, to say. Right, right. But as I say, the, the argument that you can vacuum the ozone out and you somehow trying to use ozone as a residual, mm -hmm. well, it can't be, you can't have both. For, for testing. Well, right. for the idea, if you, you know, the, the general principle, if you've got a body of solution, if you pass it through something like a UV filter, mm -hmm you never, ever get every molecule through the UV filter, no sure. matter how many turnovers you choose to do. And that's, why, you and that's why we don't use UV alone. Sure. Because if you did a powerful enough UV, you could probably show that that would kill absolutely everything, but it has to be outside of the main pool. So you're right. always sampling, and that means that a little bacteria left in the middle could sit there and could potentially grow when you've uh, you know, stop. Which which also goes back to the flow rate, which I just want to mention. I think so so frequently. I think we want a, the most powerful pump possible, but that's not what we want necessarily. You want the, the right. Best. I think you want the right volume flow. You don't want zero, of course, but to, to put to put a massive flow through is uh, said. You know, you generate an aerosol that you don't want. Aerosols are then breathed by the people who come in afterwards. You've really, filled the, you that. you've that's what. The Legionnaires outbreak that, that killed people with Legionella uh, bacteria that lived in the water cooling towers happened oh. because you bubble air through spas like that, through whirlpool spas, so that you generate an aerosol, which everyone thinks is great, and you're breathing it, so you're breathing everyone else's air, and they managed to infect a whole bunch of people oh. who happened to be Legionnaires at a conference, and a lot of them died. So ever since then, we're very sensitive about aerosols and bacteria wow. and we don't want to start Except making in aerosols case. in our float tanks <laughs> definitely not it's the opposite you know we want serenity and a mm -hmm. calm water mm -hmm. and you're lying supine breathing nice healthy air that doesn't have a lot of water molecules in it so i mean not water molecules from the salt solution so but that moves me on to the other kind of irony that there's so much attention to the solution and that's not where the risk would we come from, mm -hmm, okay? Mm -hmm. Number one risk, if you're talking microbiology, is the door handles of the float center. <laughs> now, any microbiologist, I think, will agree with that. If you're going to pick up a virus, it's because you touched a handle that just another person before you who's had a cold. That's how yeah. we catch colds. Mm -hmm. Or we kiss each other or something. So it isn't from the solution. Yeah. And uh, I'd like to move on kind of to what I was discussing this with uh, Professor Tom Fine. The issue which is now facing us in the float industry, I think, which is a public health issue, is people self-diagnosing 
who are clinically anxious, or let's oh. just say anxious, and who are not going to get the right kind of talk down through they go into a typical float center and are in danger of having a panic attack. Hmm. Now, that's not just theoretical. It's already happened in Tulsa. And I think it's something that we shouldn't just say, oh, well, it's just, you know, just one event or two events. Because well, for the industry, have, the it, last it, thing we want is anxious people panicking in a float center. Right. Can, you, can you elaborate? Can you give the example? Can you yeah, I mean, detail? the point is that we're now seeing publication of such wonderful results that really excite us all about. But, but can you give me the exact example you were talking about where somebody came in with self-diagnosed anxiety and had a panic attack? I'd love to hear about yes, what happened. Yes, our, our new CEO is uh, Debbie Worthington, who is uh, in H2Oasis Float Center in Tulsa. Okay. Her float center mirrors in many ways Justin Feinstein's float center, it has round open pools and so on. And in Tulsa, there is public knowledge about some of the work that's being done and mm. how, loosely speaking, good results are coming out because uh, anxious people are being recruited uh, into a program for research. Mm -hmm. It's all fantastic. And I mean, uh, it's it's steering the way I want to steer my company in towards clinical flotation mm -hmm. because that's the angle that personally interests me. Mm -hmm. But there's a downside if you take the thing that people who are anxious normally, we can say, would avoid going into any situation, including a float tank mm -hmm. or a float pool. They're just not going to come near our centers. And historically, we are not floating seriously anxious people. But if they read that there's evidence that this really helps, these anxious people, as Justin said in his talk, will do anything. You tell them that there's a dietary change or a lifestyle change that is going to make them feel better about themselves and be, and be able to function uh, in their relationships and in their work, they'll go and try it. And what can happen if you don't have the right kind of training in the float center is a person can, they're not gonna tell you that they're actually suffering from anxiety. They're gonna just go in there, they're gonna get in. And it's, we have had incidences of people getting to the brink of the water and having a panic attack wow. because it can happen. Absolutely. And of course you then need someone brilliant like Debbie who can talk them down and mm -hmm. talk them through it and not have them running naked into the street. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's a far more important public health issue than the remote, infinitesimal possibility that you're going to catch something from the door handles of the float center, right? I mean, let's put this in perspective. We want to be serious. We all, of course, want to be serious about public health. Mm -hmm. The evidence is that the solution is not your worry. Mm -hmm. The evidence is even with the air, which for comfort reasons we do need to pay much more attention to, the evidence is that we are now moving into a new era where medical flotation is going to grow mm -hmm. because the benefits to people who are anxious, as Justin has just shown, are far greater, actually, than the benefits to what we call normal people. I mean, I don't know if you'd call me a normal person. I don't, I, I don't know if that's a... You know, <laughs> you Healthy. say, oh, you're a normal person. I don't know if that's Healthy, an insult. but not normal. But... <laughs> but um, People who are anxious 
are getting these wonderful benefits. Uh, Justin just reported that all of his cohort of really quite seriously anxious people mm. in one float all reported that they felt better and their physiological signs show that mm -hmm. they are getting better. Yeah, so, I mean, this is really big news. But at the same time, the CDC doesn't cover mental disorder or disease. They cover... No, but they should really take the tanks off our lawn. I mean, the evidence is that we don't need CDC regulation. Or if we need it, they should adopt a much more um, pragmatic, evidence-based approach from the Float Tank Association, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and that can include disinfection systems which have been shown to work over decades and have zero incidence of cross-infection. Zero. I mean... One of, the th one of the rules that the CDC puts upon itself is that it has to have some evidence of harm. If you have an outbreak and you have people who appear to have got caught some disease, because th then, of course, they come down like a ton of bricks. They would do. Mm -hmm. But there's zero. They don't, mm -hmm. they don't cite a single case from anywhere in the world where there's any hint that someone picked up an infection. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, you know. That was part one of our interview with Colin Stanwell Smith. To be honest, I didn't realize we had spent so much time talking with each other, so we decided to break this one into two parts. I hope you enjoyed all of his insights and his viewpoints on the FTA, on regulations. It's a, it's a very interesting time in the flow industry, and there's so many things that can impact what we are going to look like going down, down the road here and what kind of regulations are going to impact what our float centers look like, how much money we need to spend on our float tanks, uh, the, including impacting the float tank manufacturers, as he talked about. It's, it's an incredible time, and it's uh, honestly, it's a little, it, it makes me nervous, you know, what, what potentially is going to happen here. So um, I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope it uh, gets the wheels turning for our listeners here, and um, I hope uh, we just all unite as a community to help make this happen the way that we need it to happen, um, because, yeah, not, it, it seems to me that if we let the government simply go due course, it's not going to be in the best interest of our floaters and our float centers. So we really do need to unite and we need to vote on this. Um, so yeah, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more as the vote comes up. But, uh, you know, we, we do have a voice and we are able to impact how this this goes forward. So anyway, I'm digressing on that. But overall, it was a very awesome interview. Thank you, Colin, so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, I just want yeah, to mention. And, uh, oh, yes, oh, Brian. sorry. Yeah, and I was going to say we'll have uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to uh, that website that was mentioned during the episode, so that yeah, you can also register and uh, make sure your voice is heard. Awesome for that Thank vote, you, Brian. Perfect. Thank you so much for our Amazon supporters, people who are bookmarking that. Thank you so much. Thank you to our Patreon supporters. That is absolutely beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And of course, thank you to Emily Norin for writing our show notes. Thank you so much. I truly, truly appreciate it. And until next time, remember, there's an infinite amount to find in the presence of nothing. So spend some time there. We'll see you next week.